This week, we're talking about Counterspell. Is it actually the most balanced spell in the game? And how can you change it up if you're screaming, it's just not fun? Welcome to an in-depth We Speak Common. Hello and welcome to another episode of the D&D podcast for everyone, because here we speak common. This is the show brought to you in partnership with The Dice Dungeon and Describe, two wonderful partners who have been supporting the show for a long time. And if you've been listening for just as long, you'll know exactly who they are and what they do. But just as a quick recap. The Dice Dungeon are the UK provider for beautiful, uh, very pristine and premium D&D dice. Glass, resin and uh, metal too. Glass is the one that always worries me. I'm worried about rolling them on the table, but they now also sell dice rolling trays. So you don't have to worry about scratching or chipping your beautiful glass dice. Uh, you go and have a look. There's a link in the description below. You can get 10% off with the code we speak common off of your entire basket, which will of course help. And if you are in the UK, like myself, there's the benefit of no import fees because D&D is 100% an American hobby. Um, but they do ship worldwide. So if you are overseas, then don't worry, you can... Uh, you can get their beautiful, beautiful stuff. And of course, Describe are the place to go if you struggle with creative writing. They've got tons of professional creative writers working hard every single week, creating new scenes for monsters, items, locations and spells. And they put them out on the internet for you. You can go have a look at their websites, DescribeDSCRYB.com to see a bunch of those scenes for free. If you want access to the ever-growing collection, I think it's now at nearly 4,000 scenes then uh, you need to subscribe. You can get 10% off your monthly payment each month for two years using the code COMMON at checkout. And of course, by doing either of those, by going to either of those partners and using those codes, you are supporting the show too. A big shout out to uh, our main supporters on the Patreon, who are the people that make this show easier to do every single week and actually have inspired directly this conversation that we're going to have today. So... If you want to be a direct supporter, links for the Patreon are below. But if not, if you don't want to pay for the free internet content, then just sharing this with people who like D&D or, or like talking about storytelling is the best thing to do. And it's very, very greatly much appreciated. Right. With that out of the way, I'm going to take a big gulp of water because coffee has dehydrated me. And say hello to my friend, fellow DM, and player, a Mr. Raymond. How are you? I'm doing great, Ben. It's great to hear. Blah, blah, blah. Be here. <laughs> <laughs> it's very early for you, isn't it? <laughs> it's so early. It's it's exactly 6.28 a.m. So, <laughs> so, so it's that, really that's commitment it's, nice. Yeah, it's really good to blah, 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 blah here <laughs> with you mm -hmm. today. <laughs> well, I know exactly how you feel. I've just come off of two breakfast shifts. Um on the old radio and it uh, it has completely knocked my clock just out of the way i have no idea what time it is anymore i'm just like always hungry always sleepy yeah yeah so um last week uh, if you haven't listened um i did an episode on design philosophy or in particular my own design philosophy around creating homebrew and and changing or adding in rules and what supplements I pick to use for D&D. &D. And in that episode, 
I gave some examples of things that I've seen online, conversations that I've had in the past about uh, different things that you might want to change in 5e. And one of those was the spell Counterspell, which incited a lot of discussion on the We Speak Common Discord server. And so, of course, I said, well, do you want a full episode on it? And the answer was a big resounding, yes, please sort this out. So we're going to do that today. Um, Before we get into it, just in case someone hasn't listened to the previous episode, because, you know, some people skip ahead or, or save up episodes to listen and things like that. When I talk about design philosophy, um, which I don't think will come too much into this, what I mean is that when I personally create stuff for 5e or just any game or if i'm picking supplements to add into my game i want them to just add on top of the core rules rather than change the core rules so that it is easier to take them in and out for new players coming to the table and that's just born from a my experiences as a dm which is i think all but you ray people who have come to my table have been brand new players so i am like i i'm like the cult leader i bring people into dnd um, so I want to make adding stuff in easy in that sense. Uh, and also I just find that it feeds into the kind of air quotes, simple design of, of 5e. So that's kind of where we're at. That's what, that's what I mean. And I think Ray will mean if we refer to my philosophy, but I don't think that particularly should come too much into this conversation. Okay, cool. Right. Let's talk about counterspell. <laughs> let's let's do this. Let's let's get oh into this because I know that you have some very specific thoughts. I have some very specific I thoughts. I feel very um, strongly about this topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do too, though. But on the other side of the camp. So let's let's do this. Let's uh, we'll we'll put out counterspell as it is, as it's presented in the game, and then we will talk about why we think the way we think and then we can talk about tweaks or changes or things afterwards after that so i think that's a great idea the specific thing we're talking about is whether counterspell as written as intended in 5e is a balanced and b i think the best way to sum it up would be fun because a lot of the argument i see is that people say like oh it takes away the fun because of xyz would you agree there fun for both the player and the dm i think that it should be a fun spell at the table full stop yeah and i i totally agree and i will recite what i've said many times i think probably said last week as well let's remember the dm is also a player of DD at the table so yeah good yep. good 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 absolutely okay so counterspell in DD 5e works this way and i have double checked that this is right i did some research yesterday so it's a third level spell it has a casting time of a reaction, which triggers when you see someone else casting a spell. It has a range of 60 feet. The way it works is you counter and cancel the casting of a spell that you can see within range. If that spell is third level or lower, it instantly fizzles out and doesn't work. If it is beyond third level, you have to make a check, which is a d20 plus your spell ability modifier. And the DC is 10 plus the spell being cast's level. So if it's a fourth level spell, it's 14. Fifth is 15. Six is 16. Nine is 19. The spell can be upcast, which would mean that if the spell you are countering 
is of the level you are casting it at or lower instantly fails. So if you cast it at fifth level and the spell you're countering is fifth or lower, it fails. If it's sixth or higher, you have to do the check. Now, that is it in the player's handbook. And to the player handbook's credit, the version of counterspell that appears in the spell list is pretty simple. Mm. It's like three sentences. Yeah. Um, but Oh, yeah, yeah. They omit a lot of stuff that it really would have been nice <laughs> if it was in the spell description. So I think that's what you're going to get into as well. Yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about rules as written and rules as intended. So rules as written are the rules written in the book as intended is how it's meant to work, but isn't specifically said. So as intended, you are not meant to know what the spell you're countering is. And I, I have a thing to back that up. Now, as supplements have come out over time, Xanatha's Guide to Everything, which we will note are optional rules that you don't have to use, brought in the optional rule, and I actually wrote down what page it's on, just in case anyone wants to check it. It's page 85, which is that... Uh, and it's not specific, specifically for counterspell, it's just an optional rule of how do you identify a spell that's being cast? Um, the optional rule is that you can use a reaction to identify a spell that's being cast. To do so, you make an arcana check, and then you can get into those numbers if you want to. We don't really need to for today. But to back up the fact that you're not meant to know what spell is being cast by counterspell, to, to identify costs a reaction, which means you could not counterspell and identify on the same turn. So... Do you agree with me there, Ray, that you are not meant to, as intended, know what spell is being cast? All of that sounds correct to me, as my understanding of the tweets and <laughs> collection yeah. of materials that are that you need to gather and, to understand yeah. what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. Which is wild. Okay. <laughs> so that's how Counterspell works, as written, as intended. And before we jump into this, because you've, you've raised a good point there, I do want to make the point and the note that Let's remember D&D 5e has been out now for what, like eight, seven years, seven or eight years. Mm -hmm. And as with any game, there will, there are points where yes, there are etera and yes, there are loads of optional rules. And at this point, if you're getting into D&D at this point or any game that's been out this long with this many supplements, you're going to have to look and hunt for rules and things. And I also want to make the point that, and, and I think this will come up with some of the, I'm going to say air quotes, issues or problems, because I don't necessarily think that they're, they're particularly issues or problems, but the things that people talk about with Counterspell, a lot of them, I think, and we'll talk about this, are problems, again, air quotes, with D&D &D as, a, as, a, as a game, rather than particularly the spell Counterspell. Um, so, or, or, or particularly things that happen at tables rather than a problem with the spell. So we'll, we'll talk about that. But I want to make those two points because those are... Um, important for the reasons why i think the spell is you know okay. and it's hard for me to uh it's hard for me to contradict you when i don't know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> so both of those yeah. things sound totally reasonable <laughs> okay good I, I, i've yeah. now got you saying that on record so that's right, good right, right. so you agree um, with everything i'm about to say yeah <laughs> yeah exactly you've already agreed so there's uh, that so shall we talk about um I tell you what, we, we, we've laid out how the spell works as written. Why mm -hmm. don't we now, I, I think we talk about why it's balanced or not balanced, and then we talk about why it's fun and not fun later, and, and do we, it into those two sections. Can we open with um, some problems that I perceive with mm -hmm. the spell as it's intended to work by the designers, uh, and then maybe yeah. 
Okay. Maybe that'll set the stage for why we feel so differently about this spell. Okay. So yeah, let, let, let's do that. So the biggest problem I have with the rules as intended, so including Xanathar's Guide to Everything, which not everybody does, which I think mm-hmm. you're on the right track if you don't know about those rules. You, you've already dodged a bullet. Um, it, it really slows down gameplay in a way that I think is pretty unique to this spell. Like, you don't see this level of crunchiness present in the other pieces of fifth edition which i think is mm-hmm. is interesting and indicates to me that counterspell has always been an oversight um even after they've addressed it in xanathar's guide to everything so what i mean by this is because you technically don't get to know what spell you're going to cast when you're deciding to counterspell that means that every player at the table when they're about to cast a spell should say I'm going to cast a spell and either wait for someone to respond or like if they want to speed the game along, be like, is anyone going to cast counterspell or can I say what spell I'm about to cast? Which seems crazy to me (laughs) and seems like a slowdown. This is this is one I feel really strong about because I don't think this is an issue with counterspell. I think this is an issue with tables. I have never had this problem simply because I... I have a very heavy role play group, right? So in a game, let me, let me, it's hard. I find it hard. And this is the problem with this conversation. I think it's hard to put this across specifically written on the internet, which is why you see it a lot, but also in words. So when I'm running a game, let's say I'm the DM, you're a wizard and there is another wizard, right? That's the scenario. When I run those turns and I describe them as the DM, I would say, okay, the arch lich lifts his hands and he wiggles his fingers and speaks in draconic and you see uh, magical energy swerve around his hands. I need you to make me a, a dexterity save. And you would then go, oh, uh, and that's when you'd say, I use my reaction to counter spell. You go, okay, my save is 21. And then I say, cool. He, he, um, he casts the magic. You feel it whip around you and you begin to feel your body distort, but you fight it off as he fails to polymorph you, right? That's how I describe spellcasting. And luckily, I have players at my table who, for example, Wesley, when he plays a um, a wizard, they do the same thing. And I, as I, when I play a wizard, the fun for me is describing what it looks like when I cast a spell, you know? So I do that too. And Wesley often will say, Ben, I need, um, he'll describe and he'll say, Ben, I need the, the, barbarian that we're fighting to make a, a con save and i go okay cool and i'll we'll roll the con save now i might then as a dm if there's no wizard on my side of the table as an npc i might say oh what are you casting because it might be important to that character and if i have a wizard and i still ask that and i choose to counterspell that wizard i should not choose to on the meta knowledge that i as the dm have much as a player shouldn't choose to counterspell on the meta, meta knowledge that a player has and so i believe that in a way, yeah, of course, it will slow down combat because you have to make a decision. And anytime you make a decision, you stop and you think, right? But I have never had the issue of, oh, I, I, I need to slow down and think about how I describe this spell because I don't want to give away what it is. If I do give away what it is, I trust my players not to make the decision to counterspell based on knowing what the spell is because I know they don't matter. And so for me, the issue isn't with the spell there. The issue is with either A, 
are your players metagaming? And is that a separate conversation you need to have? Are you really worried about them making decisions based on what the players know and not the characters? And B, why are you not describing the spells anyway? Like, that's half the fun of D&D. You want to describe the lightning coming out of your fingers, not just, oh, I cast lightning bolt. I think that there, I think that's totally fair. And I think that at every table, if you have an experienced group, they're going to find a way that feels natural to address these holes that kind of Mm -hmm. are to be avoided in different pockets. I think darkness is another great example of a a rule that can go really well at your table Mm -hmm. um, if your players are experienced and kind of know what they're doing and, and are being good players. And then a, a rule that could go quite poorly if your players are metagaming either on purpose or by accident um and i i think the example here is the the situation that you laid out from your table which does sound like a great way to play around this rule requires both the Mm. dm and the players to always have that presence of game knowledge where they are omitting the spell name from their awesome spell description and not giving away the spell in their description. Um, and then and then you don't operate on that meta knowledge, I guess, is kind of your caveat there, where it's like, even if you do yeah. give away the spell description, it's not the end of the world. But I, I digress. But I, I would say as well, though, like, because I, I know that an argument to my my argument there would be that, well, oh, but new players might not, like, have the experience to play that way. And I'm like, well, yeah, but sure, but isn't that the same for everything in D&D? When you're a new player, like, this game has a lot of shit in it, you know? Like, this is a big book. Just the, just, the hand, just the player's handbook. And then you've got, as the DM, the Dungeon Master's Guide and the Monster Manual as well. So, of course, as a new player, there's going to be a little bit of meta and there's going to be a, bit, a little bit of, oh, we've got that wrong and we need to work out what we're doing. I had it when I was new. I'm sure you did too, Ray. I don't think that can be used as an argument against the spell because that's the same for all of D&D. And so... I, I don't know. I, I feel like the the point I'm making is describe spells. It's fun. And if you do say the name, it shouldn't matter because you should know, you should trust your players and yourself not to use meta knowledge because that is a big part of, of role-playing games. But and then, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel like there is an argument against that, but I know that people would disagree with me. And then to that point, the the second big problem I have with the way that Counterspell works as intended and written, um, mm. where you don't get to know the spell before uh, people decide to Counterspell or not Counterspell, is, mm. is that it is, it is probably the single biggest opportunity in the rule set of Dungeons and Dragons to cheat, which I know is going to grind your gears because of everything that you've just laid out where you need to trust Mm. your players, you need to trust your DM. And I largely Mm. agree with you. I would never suspect any of my players to like cheat in this way. But a lot of Dungeons and Dragons is played over Discord servers, sometimes without even like video. It's just played uh, with 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 audio. audio or sometimes over text chat. And a lot of these a lot of these Discord servers where Dungeons and Dragons is played is played in a kind of a competitive way where uh, it's almost like a World of Warcraft 
situation mm. where you're all trying to get to max level as quickly as possible and you're trying to get magic items that other people don't have and there there are systems that exist for this um so when you're playing in that type of competitive arena a, an opportunity to cheat like this where you say i'm going to cast a spell and you don't describe it right because you're because you're it's it, you don't have to describe you just say mm-hmm. i'm going to cast a spell and then the the dm decides to counterspell oh well what did i what did i counterspell magic missile but if they had decided not to counterspell okay you would cast yeah, your highest it would have level been spell. something higher mm-hmm. okay so yeah i i get what you're saying and i and it's a valid point but my my gut is well okay first of all dnd isn't a competitive game it never it never has been 5e particularly never has been in sense of like old D, like ad and stuff and convention D. i mean look at where look at the 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 origins of the tomb of horrors like that was there was that was a module for competitive D, but it was competitive in the sense that one group working together would try and get out of the dungeon as quick as another group playing together so it wasn't competitive against each other at the table or against the dm that doesn't mean of course that there aren't tables out there where there is this competitive dm versus player relationship but i i see a lot of the time when i'm scrolling through reddit or when i'm and i'm and i see people saying like oh i've got this problem my table every single time or at least nine times out of ten there are people saying well hang on this sounds like you have a dm versus player relationship and that's not what dnd is meant to be and so I, i i don't think that we can sit here and say well we need to come up with a fix for counterspell because it it's there's this dm versus player relationship because if there's this relationship then you're not really playing dnd has intended and and if you want to play it in that way then then fine you should probably go and think about that but that is not the majority of how it's played and so it's not the, like the, 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 it's hard to it's hard to put this across the game wasn't designed for that that type of play so of course the spells aren't going to work well for that type of play. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I agree largely with the spirit of your your argument. Um, yeah. And I'll just say that a lot of tables out there are competitive D&D. And mm. they're not tables that I particularly want to play at. But if, the, mm. if D&D is going to run this Adventurer's Guild style thing where... People are going to be able to show up to any table and play with anybody. Adventures League, you mean? Adventures League, exactly. And then they'll be able to bring that leveled up character somewhere else. I think yeah. that there is a level of responsibility on the game design side to not present these big opportunities for problems like this. And I will. And the reason why I think this is an oversight is because I think that I can't really think of any other situations like this that present such an opportunity to be dishonest in the rule set which i think is a great thing and i think that that required Mm -hmm. a lot of thinking and careful planning and i'll say one last time that's why i think that this opportunity that exists is a oversight yeah i think it's hard for me to comment on that because of a couple of things but firstly i mean i've never played adventures league I don't actually think there's any Adventures League games near me in the UK. Like that's how 
then and that partly that's why i started this podcast originally it was because like there's there's none of that stuff over here um but secondly every single conversation i've had with someone who has played adventurous league said they hated it because of that particular yep. environment <laughs> and and like this is the thing i i totally agree with what you're saying if you're playing in those competitive games but I think my point still stands that the game is not designed for that. And I don't think that was the intention that Wizards had when they set up Adventurers League. And so for the for people to be having those games and for those those tables to exist, that's kind of like it's kind of like when Wizards Wizards created uh magic, right? And then the fan base went, Well, we want to create this new game called Commander or EDH, right? And so then eventually Wizards went, Okay, well, we'll lean into that and we'll start making commander sets. If Wizards turned around and went, oh, a big fan base is playing competitive D&D. We should make a version of D&D that's competitive. Fine. I would agree with you and say this is an oversight, but they haven't done that. So I, I, don't, I don't think that's a, a very valid argument against why it's not a good spell. And I think that I agree with you. Okay, cool. Um, nice. All right. That's... That's nice. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't expecting um, that. You were, I could no, see I was, the, I was like, waiting to be like, no, I could see the anxiety wrong. rising in your chest. You're like, what is he going to say? What is he going to say? <laughs> no, I think I think all of those points. Because I because the thing is, they like, yeah. Go no, I don't think I don't think it's that big a deal either. But I mm. think that it mm. exists, and some people have experienced it, um, and I've experienced very competitive tables where some weird stuff goes on that makes me not oh, want to yeah. play at those tables anymore. I mean, so. look, I have a player in my table who I offered a seat at my table, you know, partly because I knew them, but also because they'd said, I really want to play D&D and, and all of the experiences I've had have been really horrible. And they kept telling me these horror stories and I was sat here like, God, that's awful. Come and play in my table and I will show you a good version of D&D. That sounds really big headed, but you know what I mean? Um, I think we've all been in those situations where we hear about someone who's played D&D and we think, God, I feel really bad for you because... I know that you could have a lot more fun. Come and join us and you will. Um, and, it, and it's hard to, and I think this is where my anxiety with that answer came from. It's hard to combat that, that argument because all I can say is, well, that's not how you're meant to play, which isn't really in itself a valid argument, but it kind of is at the same time. And it's a tough I one. think in the spirit of the toughness of answering that question, I won't smash you over the head with it over and yeah, over and cheers. over again. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no problem. Okay, can we, can we just go through, I've got some specific things that I want to talk about, particularly about why I think Counterspell is one of the most balanced spells in D&D on a mechanical point of view. So we're going like to gonna shift into balance here. Yeah, well, I'd like to put them across to you and see whether you agree or disagree and um and of course both is fine and i want to stress again that if you you know we're not i'm this com this conversation isn't to try and convince one of the others that we're right you have to kind of make your own decision up with this as i say every every table has to have their own game and things and you have to balance your own party and stuff but i have some some points that i think make counterspell very balanced and i'd like to go through this and get your thoughts on them if that's okay i think i think that it i'll be surprised if i disagree with a lot of these points um but i'm okay, excited cool. for that possibility <laughs> okay cool so <laughs> the one of them i'm gonna try and do these in like a in in a way that makes sense but i might have to bounce around a little bit because it's it, it can be tricky so i think it's balanced because of uh, the first point being, you've only got three third level spell slots, right? And yes, you can upcast the spell, but upcasting is always a um, 
if not a risk, it is a, an expensive thing to do. Um, you have a casting time of reaction. Now, let's remember that reaction is once per round. And if you are using your reaction to do something, for example, casting counterspell, you are then meaning that for the rest of the round, you're not able to shield, you're not able to absorb elements, you know, you're not able to opportunity attack if you've got maybe you've got warcaster or something. So you are using up your one reaction. Uh, I'd like to point out that it's spell ability modifier, so you only get a maximum of plus five. And I know that people will say, oh, but you can get extras on that, like bless, or you can get like a dip into bard, or, you know, if you're a, a which one is it? Um, one the of the subclasses that lets you have, that's it, yeah. You get that extra plus. I'm like, yes, you do. But my argument there is anything can get bless on it for any role, you know, um, abjuration wizards, well, not any role, but you know, you can. It's not just you can't just get a plus counter spell. You can get it plus for like doing something I else think, with bless. I think bless is specifically attack rolls and saving throws. But to your point, there are other things that like guidance. Yeah, yeah, I you, you get where, where I'm coming from here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're on the same wavelength with me. Yep. Um, you know, so so it's not just like you're oh, you're only getting that plus to counter spell. You're getting into other things. So that's fine. Like oh, you know. I can have a dip into Bard and get the plus. I'm like, yes, you can, but nine times out of ten, not everyone is going to do that. That's it. That's if you want to do that and you want to build your character to be really good at counterspelling, you have to make the choice to dip. A lot of the times, going full wizard is actually better. Just to clarify, Ben's talking about jack of all trades here. Yes. Uh, which yeah. lets you add half of your proficiency score rounded down to any ability check that you make. Uh, so anyone who is playing a bard, you also actually get that added to your dexterity modifier, which I yeah. found out doing uh -huh. research for a counterspell, which is, I think is pretty it's cool. It's really cool. So like, I, I would argue like, yeah, okay, you can multi-class and for lack of a better word, optimize or min-max that ability. But nine times out of 10, I don't think everyone's going to be doing that. And if you want to do that, fine. That's the style of play. Um, on... What what was my next point? Uh... Well, you oh, okay. laid out a lot there. Do you want to dive into some of those pieces? Because surprising, so I've, I've only surprisingly, got, I've only oh, got gotcha. two more. So keep going yeah. then. Rip through. So, um, and then I can just really quickly condense them. So, uh, the range I think is an important one. So sixty feet. Wizards, of course, are backline members. To get within range to do a counter spell, you have to be within frontline range. So no disability, no disadvantage on ranged attacks and probably within range of some melee attacks. So you're putting yourself at risk. You are um, giving up invisibility to cast and you are hampering greater invisibility if you're casting this. Um, and my final point is... I think that might be the final one, so let me sum up. So, okay, so to sum up then... I think it's balanced because you have to expose yourself to damage to cast it. Damage meant for frontline uh, characters. You're using, oh, you're using long, long rest renewable resource. You're uh, burning your one reaction so you can't get that plus five to AC from shield. You can't absorb elements and half that fireball damage. Uh, you're breaking invisibility. You're hampering greater invisibility by revealing position. So I think the counter spell is a high risk, high reward spell because you never know what you're countering. Yes, you could upcast, but you could be countering something lower leveled. You could be wasting it. You're using all of those things. You're getting yourself in damage. And the final point I'll make is that if you look at things like parry or repost for a fighter, or you look at legendary resistance, they do similar things, if not for legendary resistance, the same effect. 
but we're fine with those we're not talking about how legendary resistance isn't good because you're just cancelling a saving throw ability just saying nope i choose to succeed but we are saying that nope i choose for your spell not to work is bad so they're they're my kind of like this is why it's balanced and why it works within the system all right buckle in man (laughs) here we go (laughs) so i would say i would say that all a lot of that was fair and i i Mm -hmm. agree with what you're saying under a specific context and i think that what i'm about to lay out is is probably going to be just the theme that gets repeated throughout any back and Mm -hmm. forth that we have which is that if you are a dm or a player that knows about counterspell and knows the counterspell exists and you know the details of how it works rules as written and rules as intended i think you're not going to have too much of a problem with counterspell at your table where i see counterspell horror stories unfold is when you have a relatively new dm not brand new, just relatively new DM who maybe their players have just gotten to fifth level or maybe their player has just picked up Counterspell for the first time because they're watching a video or they're listening to this podcast and they're like, whoa, mm-hmm. that spell is sweet. This is powerful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and you take your DM by surprise during a very important combat. And this I've seen happen twice now in my play experience. and. It, it is pretty crippling when, when the DM is not, not just prepared for counterspell, but is, isn't prepared for how effective and potent it can be. Where I think mm-hmm. I was in a group of level, and I'm not talking about your game, Ben. I was, this is a completely different experience. I was in a group of level eight cool. characters, and we were fighting against, there were four of us, and we were fighting against a CR, I think it was CR 13, uh, spellcaster mm-hmm. and we obliterated that spellcaster they didn't stand yep. a chance against us because our lower bard got off greater invisibility and then could counterspell with impunity for the rest of the combat mm-hmm. so if you are not prepared if you don't know about counterspell and you're not prepared for the intricacies of how it works that's when I see people get like cut off at the knees by the spell. And I think you could probably agree with that. Idea. Yes, I. OK, so let me jump in real quick then. So I, I totally agree with that. But again, I feel like that's just part and parcel of being a new DM and a new player. Like you're not going to know everything. You're not going to be prepared for everything. And there are going to be times and I've had them. You've probably had them where you're you're ready for this big epic fight and then it just gets cakewalked right and i i even get it every now and again now i mean i've got a lot better at at, with experience of being able to deal with it because my players are very experienced and i mean hell i've talked on this podcast before when joe was with me about some of the stories from dragon heist they destroyed nilhalor the mind flayer by polymorphing him into a worm and then dropping him from the sky you know like but they planned for it and for me as a dm it was a bit naff, but for them as players, it was incredible because they planned for it for weeks. They, they, they pulled it off. It was high risk, high reward, et cetera, et cetera. So my, my point is, yes, getting caught out by it and not knowing it exists and it wiping a fight is a risk for new people. But in the same way that any spell or any ability or anything that you're not aware of or not prepared for 
could do the same thing in D&D. And that just is part of being new and having those experiences. And so learning how to prepare for them later on. But I guarantee that in that experience, that bard felt fucking incredible. Like, oh my God, what a, what a power fantasy. Like you've managed to take out the guy you've been building up to take out for so long and you've managed to basically annihilate him because you've found this incredible thing you can do and you're like, wow, I feel really good. And sure, the DM might come away and think, oh, that wasn't a great encounter because it got cakewalked. But as soon as that DM asks their players, how was it? Did you enjoy it? Like, I'm a bit worried it was a bit naff. They'll be like, it was amazing. We absolutely destroyed him. Oh my God, it was great. So you've done your job there as a DM. And you know, going forward, okay, I know how this spell works. I know they've got a tactic for it. I can prepare and plan around that. And that comes into my whole thing of about preparing for the party that you're playing with and not just for any game. I think that's totally fair. Uh, One or two nitpicks that I'll throw your way are that I think, I think there are a lot of things in D&D that if you, if you don't know they exist, they'll take you by surprise and you'll have to adapt. I think that counterspell can be one of the can be something that will that will wipe an entire encounter as opposed to something that will happen and it'll put you on the back foot for maybe like a round of combat uh, or like I think the example there is oh I didn't know that the barbarian was going to grapple my my big bad there's lots of ways to get out of yeah, being grappled yeah, yeah. whereas with counterspell once you're kind of stuck or caught it just keeps happening and most most high casting spell casters don't really have anything other than their spells to get them out of sticky situations Mm -hmm. and you've already talked about this that might be a great day for that person where they're like yeah i just Mm -hmm. totally shut down your encounter totally feel you there i think that was the case in the the game that i played where the players felt like they had overcome this insurmountable obstacle that was supposed to party wipe everybody and they they did it and that that didn't happen and that was a great feeling and i i agree with the sentiment there the other thing i'll disagree with and nitpick is i don't think that counterspell is this awesome tactic that everybody celebrates it to be so the Mm -hmm. example you gave is your the planning that your players did to polymorph this Mm -hmm. super powerful mind flare and the plan that they enacted to kill that mind flare even though they were super dangerous and i think that does sound awesome and you want to reward your players for awesome planning i don't think that using your reaction every time your enemy says they're going to cast a spell to cast count to try and cast counter spell is the same thing it's kind of a no-brainer in my opinion okay so let me go for the first one then so the first thing being that um uh, just recite for me counter spell has the uniqueness that it could wipe an entire encounter oh it can just wipe the whole encounter yeah so yes yeah it could but again i don't think that's the only spell in the game that could do that i think you know in the right scenario a low level sleep can wipe a low level encounter immediately uh, fireball could absolutely destroy a whole i mean look at our encounter in the jungles of cholt recently fireball basically took it from oh my god we've got so many people to go against to oh we've only got two people to deal with you know it, they are game changing spells and you get them the fireball and, and counter spell at level five when 
the the martial characters get extra attack you know like you're meant to have that spike of power there um but you're right if you're not prepared for it, it could wipe an encounter i think again though this isn't an issue with the spell it's an issue with this with how you've planned your encounter why are you putting one single spellcaster against a party you know we've talked about action economy we've talked about the fact that if you do that they're going to get wiped we've talked about that the cr system if you're using it just to say oh i've got a level of eights so i'll put one cr 13 against they're going to walk that because that's not how the cr system is designed um and we won't get into CR system because that's a whole other conversation but so i think my 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 parry for you there right is that because we've mentioned them is that it's not a it's not a counter spell issue that's an issue with maybe the encounter building or 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 you know being ready to 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 go against it and the whole thing of being trapped in the counter spell loop yeah i get it but if your if your wizard is trapped within 60 feet of your caster play them realistically if your your wizard is smart if they know that they're going to get counterspelled because they're within 60 feet every round have them dash and move away at that point they're usually surrounded and they either have to disengage and only move the 30 feet or take three yeah. opportunity i mean at, yeah. at this point we're talking about specific scenarios and there, right. there's so many permutations of what you could go through but my, the point i'm making is that there are things you you could potentially do and I'll take this opportunity to agree with you that yeah. in the case of an experienced party and DM, Counterspell mm-hmm. is going to be a lot of fun at your table instead of a disaster. A hindrance, <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. And in the case where you aren't ready for Counterspell, you haven't done any planning for Counterspell, you probably, the encounter isn't going to be this epic battle mm-hmm. it might be it might mm-hmm. still be a lot of fun for everybody so you can still salvage the success of the session but if you were if you wanted to get across a certain story or plot or themes of mm-hmm. this e- this evil ultimate spellcaster being super super powerful um and and posing this crazy challenge to your party you need to plan for this spell because almost as much as you're planning for how much damage your paladin can do with divine smite like it is it's got to be like near the top of your list of things that you might need to add more spellcasters to your encounter and like open the encounter with like the bad big bad person being like save your spells for counter spell like have him say it out loud (laughs) where it's like yeah so like like you need to put things in your encounter that weren't there before columns to hide behind like pieces Mm -hmm. like of detritus to take cover behind line of sight uh like a cliff so that the so that the people can't get close to you in that first round of combat like you need to plan your encounters around the existence of this spell unlike any other spell in dungeons and dragons i would argue well I would I would say it's not it's not the only spell. I mean, think about hypnotic pattern. That thing shuts down encounters, you know. But I will say you are you are definitely right. And um I think that the the thing with this spell, it's like some of the other stuff in D D that as a new player, you you experience it and then you go, Oh, 
oh, okay, I need to go away and think about this. And I think that's why this episode of this podcast is important. I think that's why this conversation keeps being had because new DMs are always going to have that moment where they go, oh, this is a really strong spell and I didn't realize that I had to plan around it. And you go, yeah, well done. You've hit that. You've hit that next level of being a dm there are things that you need to plan for here are some things you should think about here's a podcast to listen to here's an article to read you know so i yeah it's gonna happen it, it's part of the game in that sense and it's part of being a dm there is stuff like that but you but you are right you do have to plan around it um okay so just out of interest do you agree then that counterspell is a balanced spell no <laughs> okay <laughs> why in, in, in brief first briefly first yes. why i think that it is too good when compared to the other options that you have as a spellcaster for it to be an interesting option to choose from so what i mean by that is similar to how fireball kind of steps on other damage dealing spells lightning because it's like lightning bolt because it's so good i think counterspell is overshadowing the other options that players have to choose from because it is in my opinion a no-brainer in okay its effectiveness so let me jump in here i agree with you and again i don't necessarily think this is a problem with counterspell i think this is a dnd spell problem because and this this is where this is where i become a broken record my point is the issues that that you and other people have with the spell aren't actually with the spell they're with dnd 5e because fireball is going to appear on every single wizard spell list you know in the same way that counterspell will in the same way that when you get to I don't know, the point where you're picking 7th level spells, there are spells that if you've played a wizard before, you're going to pick again. Even as a wizard, someone who plays wizards all the time, when I get to 5th level, I go, oh, I could pick a different spell this time. No, I'm going to pick 3rd level. uh, 5th level, yeah. I'm um, going to pick Fireball because it's so good, or I'm going to pick Hypnotic Pattern because it's so good. And that's not an issue with those spells. Those spells are meant to be good spells. They're meant to be powerful spells that you'd want to take. The problem is some of the design within 5e and different spells that make them so much better over others. But you're always going to have that, no matter what game you come to. D&D, Pathfinder, bloody Star Wars games with force powers, you know, there are always going to be some that you just have to pick because they're that good. And now we're going to get into the realm of opinion um, because I feel... Exactly. So we'll just put that out there right now. At this point, we've crossed the line where neither of us even can be right. <laughs> this is this is just going to be how I feel and how I've dealt with how I feel about Counterspell. So yeah. Yeah. because it's so good and it feels like a no-brainer to both take and cast whenever you have the opportunity because it's a reaction, you basically get the value of an action with your reaction or the potential value of an action with your reaction by countering or undoing yeah. the action of a, another spellcaster. And in some cases, when the that spellcaster is the big bad, you're undoing a much more valuable action with your reaction. Okay, let me jump in really quickly there. 
So two things. First of all, undoing a really valuable action. You think you don't know what they're doing. And if you're playing, if, if you are playing, as we've said properly, and the DM isn't going to just decide that they were actually casting a different spell, then you could have been countering something really small. I, I know for I've been in a in a table where Joe was DMing for us, where Wesley counterspelled a real big bad. And we didn't know what they're countering. And we still don't know to this point what Wesley counted. We've we've worked out that it was something big because that big bad really has a thing against Wesley's character now. Like really doesn't like them through story things that have happened. Like they Wesley wanted to go home to the other side of the world, wanted to use the priests to teleport them there. And the big bad has basically banned the priests from working with Wesley's character because he's now got a vendetta against him because he's 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 done something he, wesley's upset that big bad's plans but we don't know what so we worked out it was a big spell but we have no idea what spell it was and that's a really interesting thing my other point um of oh you would always choose counter spell as your reaction i disagree but i think that's because it, it comes back to like scenario things there will be scenarios where you want to keep your reaction to shield and get that plus five to AC. And so then you've got a really tough decision of, I know the big bad's casting something. Do I want to do the risk of counterspelling it in the hopes that it's a big thing that's going to change the battlefield? Or do I want to save my plus five to AC when when that ogre comes over and tries to hit me because I know they're going to do it? You know, that's a, that's a tough decision to make. But again, I'll admit that's a scenario-based thing. And if your DM hasn't made an interesting encounter where you have to make those tough decisions, then yes, it might be a point where you're like, oh, well, I'll just counterspell because it makes sense to counterspell. I don't need my reaction for anything else. I think in the spirit of this conversation, I'm, I'm mm. going to ag agree with you that in the situations that you've laid out, that's valid. Some, mm. some things that I think are more common, but not an absolute, are that the big bad spellcaster is such a presence on the battlefield that you will almost always rather use your reaction to undo what they're about to do than get the like plus five to AC or half the amount of elemental damage that you're going to take mm -hmm. from the spell that they're casting <laughs> that you could yeah, potentially yeah, yeah. yeah that's a fair <laughs> right that's right. a fair argument yeah I'll give you that yeah um, and but, so but can I well, wait, wait, let me Go let me just because you, you did say something interesting earlier, which I think on its face sounds really good. But mm -hmm. most combats last about three rounds. So if you are a fifth level caster, yeah, sure. Maybe you don't want to use one of your two third level spell slots. But as soon as mm -hmm. you get up to seventh level caster, ninth level caster, now you have. Six. Uh spell slots that are available for counterspelling even at mm -hmm. upcast and you have three rounds of combat with which to spend your stuff yeah so you get your yeah. action to cast your big thing and then you get your reaction to cast counterspell and if you don't cast counterspell you are really it's really likely that at the end of that combat you're just going to be sitting on those third level spell slots um so so yeah yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I see your point. I get where you're coming from. Um, so my first point that I really want to jump in with before I forgot it was that, uh, I would say that if you are, yeah, yes, you are definitely in, in cancer. You might be like, well, I have to focus on the big bad spellcaster. Like, yes. And you might feel like as, as the wizard in the party, that's your job and potentially yes. But again, if the DMs made an interesting encounter for their big bad, which they should do, then your, your only worry is not going to be the big bad. But again, <laughs> that comes down to, the, the the scenario that you're in 
um totally. which is where which is where your point about us being an opinion and being in like hyperbole and stuff is like absolutely into point and and all that but also hearkening back to our original like foundation of if mm. you plan your encounters around counters for the existence then of you're probably spell, not gonna have a problem yeah then you're not gonna have a problem because you you're gonna do exactly what you said you're not gonna throw a cr 15 spellcaster at your party of four level 10 adventurers you're gonna throw a cr 12 spellcaster at them and a cr 10 champion stat block where their whole thing is they're like I am going, not only does this step block yeah. have the Mage Slayer <laughs> feet, mm-hmm. but they are also mm-hmm. like, they also have like a few Misty Steps and they're Misty Stepping right next to the Spellcaster <laughs> and they are yeah. cutting them down. Or you have like some Entourage uh, backup dancers, Spellcasters that are there just to cast Counterspell on yeah. Counterspells. Or, um, or so just, or just make you want problems. to use your counterspell for other things. Like, if you've got those extra spellcasters, they don't have to just be counterspelling. They can be casting other spells that your wizard wants to counterspell instead of your main bad guy's wizard. Like, you can use them in interesting ways. Maybe, right? Like, wait, what yeah. What big spell is are the backup dancers going to cast that your big bad okay. is casting? And then I think this brings me to a point that is super important that I don't want to gloss over, is the chance of getting off a successful counterspell is really high okay a lot hold, of the put time a pin in that we're gonna we're gonna get into that yeah. so yeah. Ho- hold hold a pin in that one for now because that's an important one we're going to talk about but um just to go back to you saying like oh well when you're a higher level you've got so many spell slots you can use yeah absolutely but so does the big bad so does the enemies you know like you're not the only one who can level they can too i think when you're at that high level you expect to be able to do bigger things you expect to be able to cancel bigger things you know this is a, it's a different conversation but I think that goes back into the the scenario and the planning for it and what are you actually up against and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't think, I think if you have a problem with counterspell in the sense that you can cancel spells, I don't think that problem gets worse when you're higher level. I think it's just still a problem. And the ways you would combat it at lower level are still the ways you would combat it at higher level. It's just the case of everything is bigger and different because you're at a higher level at that point. Um, I think that you would agree that if you were to take a CR 12 stat block and not uh, like a CR 12 spell casting stat block and not make any modifications and put that against your group of eight of uh, four level eight adventurers, which, which should be really deadly. Like according to like the encounter builder, you're going to get rolled. And I, and I think that's the, the yeah. point that I'm trying to make. And then, but then I will also say that that's, if you're listening to this episode of this podcast after this discussion, you're never going to make that mistake. <laughs> yeah. And again, I would, I would say that like, that's an issue with CR as well, because if you, if you build an encounter based off of CR and you don't do it exactly as the book says, and you don't have like the eight encounters that you should a day that the book suggests, then the CR system isn't going to work for you. And that's a D and D issue, not a, not a spell issue, but totally. um, yeah. Okay. Let's, let's talk about, the thing that we put a pin in then and the 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 actual mechanic and the role and stuff because i i i totally understand where you're coming from and i have and i and i agree that in a sense it can be too easy but i have i have my specific way of like accounting for that which goes into my philosophy of of design stuff and i think and i know that you've got your own so we'll talk about those before we do let's just remember that um when you cast a spell and you are countering a spell that's higher than third, you are rolling a d20 plus your spellability modifier 
which is a maximum of plus five unless you've got an, an external force helping you and the dc is 10 plus the level so fourth is 14 fifth is 15 sixth is 16 so on ninth is 19 that's the dc I, d20 plus five max and i think you're forgetting another thing that you can do to get an extra bonus on that roll of the d20 mm. and that's that you have to have some really cool dice you beat me to it you oh you've learned well Fool you knew exactly where ben, i was going me. Oh, i'm like a proud sensei well done congratulations yes and ray where could you get some really really good dice well i think i think i've heard of this these really cool guys over in a place called uh was it dice dice fortress is it dice fortress no, no no you're close it's it's dice dungeon ah dice dungeon dice dungeon yeah. is where you go to get your premium dungeons and dragons dice. that is exactly the place you can go metal resin and now glass too and they are so gorgeous i have so many sets now because i've i just can't not i can't help myself i'm a goblin it's because you have a problem <laughs> yeah, i do I, yeah it's the first step to admitting it and they are 100 my my drug dealers in dice at this point but um they are so pretty and i've got so many pretty sets that it's hard to pick which sets to use each session um but hey if you want to go and have a look there's a link in the description below you can get 10 percent off your entire order and you don't have to just buy dice you can get dice rolling trays you can get DD fifth edition books you can get spell cards so you can get counter spell on a nice little card that you can have in your in your character folder which will help you remember exactly how to use it so you can make your dm cry every session um but hey, if you want that 10% off, we speak common is the code. It's off the entire basket. And of course, they are here in the UK. So if you are a UK listener, you don't have to deal with those pesky postage fees that you might get from some of the other companies that you know about that are over overseas. Uh, and if you are overseas and you want to support the show, then um, their postage fees aren't that bad, actually. And the import tax isn't that awful. So go and go and use that 10% off. Um, and the other one as well, if, you, uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you're, you're inspired to start describing your spells, really really well then hey describe the place to go dscryb.com and they have a whole section where professional creative writers describe the casting of spells so you can go on there you can type in counter spell and see what comes up and use that a ton of them are there for you for free if you want full access maybe as a dm to get that written box text for locations and and items too then and monsters then you can subscribe with the code COMMON. You'll get 10% off your monthly payment every month for two years. Oh, two years of 10% off every month is, is a pretty good deal. I, I cannot lie. Go and have a look. Link for them in the, in the uh, description below as well. And those codes are written out for you to just copy and paste into your, your baskets at the end as well to make it nice and easy. Oh, you've, you've, I'm very happy that you picked up on that, Ray. You've made me feel, <laughs> you've made me feel good there. <laughs> Well, you listen to what uh, 150 episodes of We Speak Common, and you start to uh, oh, yeah. start to get you with start the program. to see the motifs. <laughs> yeah, you start to realize what's going on. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's talk about this then. So, uh, give me give me the breakdown of your argument because I think it's there's there's two things here that I want to talk about. There's the thing we're going to talk about now, and there's the aspect of oh, it's it's just not fun when your spell gets cancelled, which I want to get into because I've got a thing for that too. I don't even think we have to talk about that. I think that's nonsense. We can do that first because it's going to be easy. <laughs> we'll knock that out of the cool. park. If, you, if okay. Counterspell isn't fun 
at your table. You're not playing D and D right. You're not playing D and D right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. which is a, it's a really gatekeeper thing to say. But yeah. Like, oh my god, I, I said this to Phoebe. So uh, Phoebe's yeah, it's really like, come on, step all up I've your been, game. Um, What's going on? Yeah. Here? <laughs> All I've been talking about for the past two days straight is like Counterspell. And I'm like, but, but what about this? And she's like, baby, you don't need to convince me. I agree with you. And I was like, yeah, but what about this? Um, it's like, she said, if you're at your table and you just say, oh, I Counterspell. Of course, it's not going to be fun. But if you, if you let, if you, as a DM, if your player says, oh, I'm going to Counterspell it. If you then go, oh, well, the spell doesn't go off. It's not as fun. But if you describe, as I said earlier, the spell coming up and appearing and then the and then the, the player waving their hand and mag- magically cancelling it out and like the, the villain being really annoyed, like then it's fun. And if you let the player do the same when their spell gets cancelled and you let them have a moment, then it is fun. And also, what's absolutely. not fun about cancelling a spell that's going to absolutely wipe your pie? Like there's the argument of, oh... I see this a lot and it really boils my blood. Like, oh, it's not fun because there's nothing narrative happening. Yes, there is. You're stopping what could potentially destroy a party. Right. That's cool. Uh, yeah. That's really I think narrative. That, I think that argument is usually made in, in bad faith when I've seen it yeah. on the internet. I, um, so just to maybe give people at home who are like, feel hurt or attacked <laughs> by yeah, yeah. My, my aggressive, <laughs> you're not playing D&D, right? Uh, or you're, you're aggressive, you're not playing D&D, right? There are some articles out there that are really helpful where it's just someone talking about all the different ways that um, you can describe counterspell and they'll give a -hmm. bunch of different examples but maybe we'll give like three just to give someone to go off of one of my favorite ones is this idea that when someone's casting a spell it creates like almost if you're another spellcaster your like spidey sense goes off and you can tell that Mm -hmm. someone's manipulating the weave to do something and then you you also have things like uh, like verbal and somatic points as well, which give it away as well. That as well, but I like the idea that you're almost like counter hacking their spell. So you start, <laughs> you like, you insert your will into the weave and you start having this like yeah. battle of wills where you can see the other spellcasters, uh, like blood start to pump and you see their, their vein in the their vein forehead. Their like, forehead. You're having yeah. this like almost, um, almost like telekinetic battle against each yeah. other. That's one awesome way of describing counterspell happening and like have it be really a like thing that. that is happening for a while on the battlefield mm. or something like that. You well, can, it's like you a full six seconds, it in a bunch of different ways. Yeah. 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 And I, I really like the whole like describing the spell happening, but then the effect not happening. So, you know, let's use fireball as an example. Maybe narratively, like I, I know some people don't like to describe the characters moving if they're not moving, but fuck it. It's a game of imagination. You know, the the big bad <gasps> makes the bead of fire and it shoots out and you watch it begin to expand. But the other wizard conjures up magical auras around their hands and literally puts their hands over the bead of fire and shrinks it down and gets rid of it. And there's a little puff in their hands as it as it explodes in there in the palm of their hands but does no damage like that's a cool like um uh visual casting of a spell getting cancelled like things like or like think about episode three darth sidious fighting yoda darth sidious shoots off his lightning from his hands and yoda catches it in a ball of force and it fizzles out like that's that would be a cool way to counter a lightning bolt like you leap in front of the the line and catch it like you can do stuff like that as well which which makes your your um player wizards feel very powerful and can also make your big scary bad wizards look really powerful to your players too and it's still a narrative thing that's happening i love that i also love the idea that they cast an equally powerful 
spell that bolts, and it's like exactly yeah. you could you can copy it or if someone's doing like a wall of fire you conjure a wall of water wall of and water. you douse yeah. their wall of fire there's lots of really really a people. lot of opportunities to improvise yeah there will be a lot of people who are like oh i can't say it looks like a wall of water because wall of water is another spell and i'm like why can't you why can't you do that yeah. that's cool maybe the wizard then when they level up learns wall of water and the narrative that they've learned <laughs> it is because they learn how to do it from counterspelling like there's so many options um so i'm just sorry sam it. if you're i'm sorry if sam's listening to the show because i'm about to pick on him from like one of the first time oh, he God. played so he's so he so he's come like a crazy long way from from oh, yeah. this time Massively. that i got to play with him but he's he was, like my he was, little protege i'm very proud of him yeah, yeah he's he's <laughs> it's really scary how fast he's yeah, like picking stuff up. growing in every way in in this beautiful hobby but he uh he was playing a fighter and he had a scimitar and he was like oh man i just feel so silly because all i have is this scimitar so i can't i can't say anything other than i hit this person with my scimitar i'm like Sam, we just wiped out like 30 bandits. Just pick up their weapons and use a different weapon every round of combat. And he's like, yeah, but it doesn't say those weapons on my character sheet. <laughs> I was just like, like, But this is the thing as well. When people are like, oh, I don't like playing fighters with bows because I just say, oh, I shoot my bow. I'm like, hello, you knock an arrow, Lord of the you Rings. pull it back, you fire <laughs> yeah. it, and it soars through the air and strikes one goblin straight in the neck. It strikes the other in the head. Like, you know, like, come on, like, you can describe the impacts, describe what happens. Yes. Like, that's cool stuff. That's part of the totally. Totally. Well, I'm glad we that we... Play. Yeah, I'm glad <laughs> we smashed that one. Like, fucking Easy. stupid, stupid argument. Stupid. Get it out of the way. Um, Get out of here okay. with that nonsense. Let's talk about these, this, this, uh, it being easy to beat the DCs because yes. you, um, All right. I, I, so I want to say before you jump into your explanation, cause you've got a good one and I know it's quite detailed. Um, I don't disagree that the DCs aren't hard to meet. Um, I personally think that it's not a problem. And if it is a problem, I have some things for it that I do use, um, but I don't think so. Like, for example, if the party go up against just a wizard, like they come up against a a red wizard or, um, you know, like a warlock in a group of fighters, the normal rules, I don't think they're a problem because it's just a normal combat. I think they can become a problem if you're big bad for the whole campaign as a wizard. And then you're worried because you cut, you're worried about like, Oh, I don't think I've built the right encounter. You want an extra thing to make it a bit harder to counter spell. Then I think it can become a problem, but I think that is nine times out of 10. It's okay. That's just my personal opinion, but let's, let's, let's hear the, the breakdown from you. So the way that the math works out is I think the, the formula itself is problematic, not just the, the diff like the difficulty of counterspelling. So I think that the rate that you counterspell a low level spell with success is too close to the rate that you counter a high level spell with success. So for most spellcasters, we're looking at about a 50% chance of success uh, counterspelling a fourth level spell with a third level spell. And then mm -hmm. when you scale that all the way up to like a ninth level spell 
you're still looking at around, I think it's like a 30%. I'd have to check my charts here. Wait, I actually have my chart right here. So yeah, I'll get do. the actual, I'll get the this actual This is why I'm number. getting you to break it down. I know you've done the yeah. math. Okay. So you have about a 60% chance of success if you are like an eighth level spellcaster for a fourth level spell. And you have about a 35% chance of success of counterspelling a ninth level spell. That's With a super level similar. Spell. With a third level spell slot that's super close, I think that it should be way harder to counter a ninth level spell with a third level spell slot. And then this brings me to my second big problem with the spell is that it has a very convoluted way of rewarding upcasting and doesn't really reward upcasting, in my opinion, mm -hmm. in, most, in most circumstances. Like if you're a warlock, Taking Counterspell is actually kind of like a really weird decision because you're always going to yes. have to cast it at your highest level spell slot, which yeah. is, it doesn't feel good with Counterspell. It, it doesn't feel good to Counterspell typically as a Warlock, which I, Can is I a shame because it's an awesome spell. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I want I wanted to go with that second point first. So first of all, I don't think Counterspell is a Warlock spell list. I don't think it belongs on the Warlock spell list. It's there. I don't think it should be. Um, I don't think it makes sense because of those reasons. Um, I think Counterspell is a wizard spell uh, that is also available to the sorcerer. But in my mind, sorcerers kind of are more designed for like offensive spellcasting and wizards are more for control. Right. And so it makes sense to be a wizard spell. Um, the fact that you can have it as warlock is it's just a weird thing like if you want to take his warlock, fine. But we know that warlocks aren't designed to be that type of spellcaster. So I don't really think that is, is a problem with the spell i think that's it's just weird that it's a warlock option but there we go that's my opinion there for the um the like it's not a, a valuable upcast i agree that it's not because how do you, you don't know what the spell's casting right so you don't know that it's a ninth level spell that's being cast at you so why would you cast counterspell at ninth level for example but i think that is part of the balance i think that it's meant to be it's meant to be risky for you to upcast the spell. It's not meant to be desirable to upcast the spell because it can work at a lower level. The reason you would upcast it is I want there to be no chance that this spell fails, so I'm going to use my ninth level spell slot. You know, that's for the critical role moment of fighting Vecna and cancelling out that spell. I know I want it to succeed full stop, so I'm going to ninth level, right? And I'm going to use my one ninth level spell slot. I think the, yeah, so, so my point is that it's, it's by design that it's not, like, meant to be upcast. It's there as, like, a, oh, I really want this to work. I'm going to do it higher um, and, and hopefully have a higher chance of it working. It's not, you're not, want to, you're not meant to want to upcast it because there are better things you could do with those higher spell slots. Does that, do you, would you, do you kind of agree where I'm coming from in a way at all? I can agree with one side of the argument. And then one thing that I'll put out there is the way that I like to run higher level slots is that they mm -hmm. require more concentration, more energy. It takes more out of you to cast those big spells. And I think that it's mm. not thematic or not like narratively exciting that if you you don't know what level the person's casting the spell at. So you're you're kind of taking a shot in the dark. And maybe they're casting at seventh level and you're and you make that decision as the player to be like, I'm going to cast it at my highest level spell slot and you cast mm -hmm. it at sixth level. It is a bummer 
that it's just as effective as if you would have casted it at third level for narrative okay. reasons. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I get that. I think so. My argument there is though that that's still that high risk, high reward thing because you don't know what they're casting at. It's it's a high risk to do it at a higher level. Um, yeah, okay, it could, yeah, it could be. It's it is a bit of a bummer that like oh. I have I've cast it at my highest level and it's still not high enough. But I would argue that as a player, if that was me, I'd be like, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it at my highest level. It's gonna work, and then it doesn't. In, yeah. Oh my god, a bummer that it hasn't worked. But also, holy shit, this guy's stronger than I thought. We've got a serious issue here. And then there's that interesting emotion of, oh my god, what am I dealing with? I I want to give an example um, that isn't a counter spell example. It's a dispel magic example from the tyranny game i played last week so right only went in this game we were we were fighting a um it was the the tiles on the floor of a dungeon had were enchanted they were painted to look like a chimera and so we were fighting what is essentially a chimera but it was a 2d tile like animation of a chimera it was really cool and so my wizard went okay i'm gonna use my first turn to cast dispel magic and try and dispel the enchantment and it didn't work the Chimera had had a uh, ability on it that meant that it couldn't be dispelled like that. So as a wizard, as a player, I've gone, oh, yeah, okay. I've just used a spell slot and I've just kind of, I don't like saying it this way because I disagree with the sentiment of the sentence, but I've wasted my turn in inverted comments to do a spell that had no effect. But at the same time, I went, okay, I'm going to counterspell it. And I was also like, oh, well, actually, I'm happy that that didn't work because I'd be disappointed if I could just get rid of the encounter like that but it was worth me trying because the other caster in the party the sorcerer went said to me i'm glad you've just done that and you've and you've said as a character in game that you were doing that because now i'm not going to use my turn to do that either way one of us were going to try to see so now we know and we know we're up against something stronger than that um and i and as my final point i think that that experience that of i cast the spell and it didn't work is exactly the same as i'm going to cast polymorph but the creature passes the save and so nothing happens. Would you say you've wasted your turn there? I wouldn't because there was a chance of it working. I didn't know, you know, there was still a chance of the dispel or in the other scenario, the counter spell working. It just didn't. I think that I half agree and half disagree. And the half Mm -hmm. disagree comes from if you're, if you're a, If you're someone that I want to play Dungeons and Dragons with, you're always going to find the silver lining in a failure and turn a good way and turn it into a good thing for the story. Um, Yeah, which is what I've just done. (laughs) Right. But I also think that in any conversation that we could have about Dungeons and Dragons, the other person could be like, well, that's not true because anything yeah. that happens that's bad in Dungeons and Dragons is actually, is actually something that's good, good that happened. <laughs> exactly. So I, I think I'm I, I think we're you see where I'm coming from, where I'm like, I'm not going to I'm not going to roll yeah. with that explanation in this conversation now that we've gotten mm. this far. But I, I see where you're coming from. I think that the other points that you made are also really fair. Mm. That's. At my table, especially because I have a warlock who loves counterspell and wants to cast counterspell, I'm I reward the upcasting of counterspell. Yeah, and and I, I think Always. that's the right thing to do because that that what you're doing right there goes straight back into my like my number one rule of you need to balance for the party you're playing with, which doesn't just mean balance. It means you need to you know you need to prep, you need to create a game for the table. That includes you as the DM. The DM is a player at the table 
So it needs to be fun for you too. But if you've got a warlock that wants to counter spell, make it rewarding. Don't make it punishing because they want to live that fantasy. You know, if if a player comes to me and says, I want to play this way, but I want to be this class, I'd say, have you considered playing this other class because it feeds more into it? And they go, no, I want to play this way. I go, okay, cool. Let's work out how that's going to work then. You know, because I'm playing with them and they're playing with me. Let's make the game fun for all of us. Totally. But the changes that I've made, I think, uh, make Counterspell, I would argue, <laughs> vehemently, <laughs> make Counterspell better at every table for players and DMs. Um, okay. So maybe, we are, maybe um, a, this is a good juncture to lay it yeah, out on the table. We're, we're getting to a long episode now. So let's, let's, because these are like the last points now where we're talking about our potential changes that you could put in. So let's go into it. So tell me, um, tell me your change. I know it already, obviously, but walk me through it again. And I, I'm going to just say off the bat, before we get into this, I think that your changes are good for your table and, and go into that philosophy that I have of like planning for your table and could be good for other people. For me personally, they don't work with my philosophy. So just going in, you know, I'm going to give you reasons why I don't agree and my versions, but it's all in good, good faith. Totally. And I think that cool. uh, a lot of the reasons that you might disagree, we've probably already laid out in detail <laughs> throughout the course yeah, of this yeah. episode. So I, I don't Most think likely. it'll be that surprising. So what I, the change that I make to the spell, or I make a few changes, but the, the change that I make that is like the core foundational change is I change the formula for counting, uh, calculating the DC. So mm-hmm. instead of the floor plus the spell level, so the floor is eight, instead of eight plus the, or 10 rather, it's uh, 10, yeah. in, instead of 10 plus the spell level for the DC, I take the difference of the spell that's being cast and the counter spell, and I multiply that by four because I really want to nerf counter spell at my table. But anyone could change that number to be yes. lower if they don't want to nerf counter spell as much, and I add that to eight. So that sounds complicated, but it's it's yeah. literally it's literally. Oh, uh, I'm casting thunder wave at sixth level. And my warlock says, well, I'm casting counterspell at fourth level. All right, well, six minus four is two times eight is, I mean, uh, times four is eight times plus four. eight is 16. And because this is how we do counterspell at my table, that math, which is a subtraction and a multiplication and an addition takes less than six seconds every time. <laughs> so okay. like, it sounds complicated that first time that you do the math and then it's like, okay, we like i i went to first grade i know how this works <laughs> uh, yes except for let me bear in, let me bear in mind that i am playing on a table with someone who has dyspraxia uh, no dyscalculia and can't i can't do basic math so right well it's so lucky me, that let, the rest of us are there to can, help them yeah out. let yeah. me let me tell you why i don't like this sure. and that is because it goes against my personal my personal way of of deciding what homebrew I bring into my games, what supplements I bring in and what I create. And that's that it changes the core game. I want the core game to be the same because I want everything to go on top as optional layers. Right. And that's just my personal way of doing it. Um, it, it, for me, that makes bringing in lots of different supplements and lots of different homebrew easier because things work together and they layer on top of each other right so this is and this is what i talked about in my last episode um 
for example, the poison condition, like the extended poison condition I made, goes on top of the normal poison condition. It doesn't replace it. So you can use it or you can not use it. And that's kind of, it's simple. And the reason I do that is because 5e is designed to be a simple version of 5e. And I think that your, um, your rule change is much more crunchier and is a different style of D&D than 5e is designed to be. So for me, it doesn't fit. It feels like, it feels odd, odd, odd like the odd one out because it feels more like a, a 3.5 or a 3 or a 2 kind of edition kind of rule which is fine and you and i are, taught, are looking at the witcher rpg right now and i'm and and the, i think that kind of rule that you've got there would fit perfectly in that kind of system and i'm i'm telling you i was just before we started recording how excited i am to play that system and how fun it's going to be and how i'm really enjoying it reading about it and stuff but put it into 5e it feels weird it doesn't work for me because it, it doesn't fit the system and so and that's a personal thing which is why i say before you got into it you know, some people are going to love it and think it works, but for me, it just doesn't. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And I, and I, I want to make it clear that I'm very well aware of the fact that that is a personal opinion. Absolutely. That totally makes sense. I respect okay. for where you're coming from. It makes it easy for someone to join your table as well, because mm-hmm. at my table, um, if I have a new player and I know Counterspell is coming up, I remind them that that's how Counterspell well works. Not too dissimilar to how you remind us how dark vision works. Uh, yeah. It kind of it, it is a little bit similar in that way. Um, the reason why I like this change so much is it doesn't nerf counterspells at a similar level. It actually makes mm. counterspelling a third level, a fourth level spell with a third level spell. Uh, it gives it a higher chance of success, yeah. but it runs away pretty quickly where now if you're trying to counter a fifth level spell with a third level spell slot that's going to be tough it's actually impossible unless you're an abjuration wizard or a Uh bard to counter spell that ninth level spell with a third level spell slot but if you if you try to counter that ninth level spell with an eighth level spell slot you have a, a really good chance of success, which I really like. And this solves the problem for my Warlock player, where they're always getting rewarded for upcasting. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it solves the problem for my big bads, because typically their spell levels are much higher than the spell mm-hmm. levels of my party members. So it means that their highest level abilities, their most cool, most thematic, most cinematic abilities are going to be much harder to counterspell, which gives the players more of a kind of a conundrum, I think, to deal with, which is, do I want to try and counterspell their most powerful ability or do I want to save it for something that's a little bit more middle tier? And then this brings me to the other change that I make because I nerf counterspell in this way. What I, what I do is I throw out the rules for Xanathar's Guide to Everything. When someone at my table is casting a spell, they say what spell they're casting. They describe it all, like also, mm-hmm. but they, they also say what spell they're casting and at what level. And we just cut through all of mm-hmm. that nonsense. And it gives the players the information that I think you kind of want people to have. And when they're like deciding whether or not they're going to use a really high level spell in that way and that's what that's those are the changes we make at my table i don't think the throwing out the xanathar's guide rules is going to be that controversial for you ben because no. i think you consider those to be like optional them. rules yeah 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 it's all all supplements outside of the three core rule books whether they're what see or not 
are optional. That's just how they are. And and that, yep. that links in with my philosophy too. Um, so let me talk about the changes that I would potentially make and some that I've used and totally. some that I've considered using in the past. So put a pin in the Xana for rules for a minute. I want to talk about yep. the counter spell one specifically off of the back of yours. So, yeah. and, and I think that my rule change here is going to appeal to the newer DMs who are like, oh my God, that makes sense, but I don't really understand the, 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 the design side of it and the math and the, the calculation because we've all been there before. Um, so I think my change is, is going to be more appealing to those that don't want to go into the crunchier side. And that is, for me, counter spell should be harder for big bads rather than just any wizard that you might come across. If you come across like, I'm going to use a Serac in Tomb of Annihilation as an option, as as an example. He is a big bad. He is set up throughout the entire game. He is meant to be this big, scary Archlich who has lived for thousands of years. He should not be easy to counterspell, right? The change that I would make for that, and I would not make for just a a red wizard that you might meet in the jungle, is that to counterspell him, instead of the 10 plus spell level, you are trying to beat his spell casting DC in the same way that if you were trying to make a save against him, for example, polymorphing you, his DC is say 23. So to counterspell his spell, his DC is 23. It's a, f- a feature or a trait that you put onto a, a, a special monster, which is something that is part of the core rules. You're meant to, to make monsters a little bit different when they're special. You're meant to play around with them, see dragons as innate spell casters, as an example. You know, you're meant to change them up a little bit. So to make him special, to make him harder to counterspell, he has the feat where he, he to counterspell him, it's his spell save DC, not 10 plus spell level. And that makes it just a little bit tougher. Um, and it means that potentially a knife level counterspell ain't going to work, you know? It doesn't matter what you're casting at, you've, you've got to beat that, that same DC every time. And if you wanted to add a level on it, that's like the easy version. If you want to have that high, that thing of, well, casting at higher levels does give, make it better, then, you know, you make it so that your higher levels give you uh, an extra plus one, you know, or a plus two or whatever for each level. You can play around with that. But that's then heading into that crunchier side. My change right. is, okay, right. this guy is, is harder, so his DC is higher, and it's always higher. It's not 19, it's 23, or it's 25, or whatever. He is hard to counterspell. And, and I appreciate that that is a simple fix, and it doesn't account for everything, but the reason is that 5e should be simple, and here is that simple kind of quick change that you can make as someone who doesn't want to get into crunchy mouth and stuff does that make sense i think that totally makes sense and for anyone who's listening out there um i'll just add a, like a personal caveat onto mm-hmm. that that i don't think is an actual argument just maybe something that will help someone is if i were a player and i had been playing for a long time and i had been playing at your table ben and counterspell had always worked a specific way and then we mm-hmm. got to that final battle against this arch lich and i cast counterspell at my highest level spell slot and Mm. all of a sudden the rules for counterspell are different Mm. that you can always find the silver lining yeah you can always find the silver lining but that player that was going to be their big moment that like that they Mm. were building up for and i i see the argument of like well from a narrative perspective it's it's it shows how crazy powerful that lich is totally fair just make sure that that person so feels make sure powerful you, maybe in their next turn <laughs> like yeah. right away <laughs> the thing i want to want to say there then is that when you're and this is the same for everything not just counter spell and doing this to this monster it's the same with any monster you're changing you need to foreshadow things you know yes. if you're if you're 
going up against a T-Rex that was uh, the creature of a specific warlord that had a higher AC because it had metal grafted to its body, you need to foreshadow the fact that it's going to be harder to hit by having the stories of the fact that it's a T-Rex covered in armor. In the same sense that... If you're foreshadowing, if you're going to make it harder to counterspell the big, bad, ancient, evil lich, you need to make sure that the players hear stories of the fact that in his heyday, no one could cancel his spells. He was so strong that you couldn't cancel any spell or or whatever, you know, do it in an interesting way. Don't make it so on the nose as that. But, you know, I'm coming up with this on the spot. You need to make sure there are narrative justifications and players expect it to be hard. Don't just have it come out of the blue because, yeah, that could be shit as an experience. Um, The other change I want to put in and taking the pin out of Xanathar guide rules now, because I think it makes sense for wizards to be able to um, work out what spells are being cast. And I think that's why there's that rule in Xanathar's. And I do, I, I, there are times when like, if a wizard says to me, it, that, that rule doesn't come up often in my game. And so often I just don't use it. But if I'm in a combat and the wizard says to me, can I work out what they're casting? I'll say, you can, but it will use a reaction. That's the optional rule. If you want to use it, we can do it. Um, and as long as they they know that the decision they're making, then fine, I'll let them use it. Because you know, counterspell and identifying are both a reaction. Therefore, you know, it, it's one or the other. They if they say to me, "I'm going to counterspell," can I also work out what it is? I'll say no because they're a reaction. So I don't tend to use it. But if if a player really wants to, then it's a discussion we can have. If you want them to have the ability to identify a spell being cast that isn't a reaction and so they can still counterspell you want to have that fantasy of a wizard being so clever that they know the spell being cast then use something like a passive arcana we have passive perception we have passive insight it's 10 plus the the modifier do it for arcana if you've got a strong if you've got a power a high level wizard who has a plus five in their arcana and then has a proficiency of three you know they've got a passive arcana of 18 they're always going to know what spells being cast up to eighth level now you could argue that's too strong sure but if you're going for that fantasy that can help and that's a way to have the ability to identify a spell without it hindering the oh i want to be able to know whether my counter spell is worth it or not you know but again that's going to fit some tables and not others i think that's fair i like the passive arcana idea way more than i like the idea of giving your players the opportunity like at the table talking your players through Mm. every time that it comes up um oh but it's gonna it's gonna cost you a reaction but you can do an arcana check but also remember that counterspells yeah. a reaction so if you decide yeah. to do the arcana check you can also cast counterspell and then you that player say... goes that player turns to the person next to them and goes can you use your reaction to exactly find out so what that's what i was gonna is? say because Which then you have them saying slows oh. down gameplay though but then, yeah, but then you have the player saying like, oh, well, I'll use my reaction to identify it and then I'll shout out what it is. And I'll say, well, no, because a reaction isn't a turn. You don't also get to shout out what it is. You can know, but that's not going to help your other person deciding whether they want to react. And then it's like, well, why not? And it's like, because a reaction is isn't an action. a lot of explanation exactly. to have to go through at and the table, that's which my is issue. not good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. That's my issue with the Xanifer rules yeah. in that they, people always say, well, if I work it out, I can say it. And I'm like, well, no, because a reaction isn't an action. And, and right. then it slows stuff down. I would rather so. throw all that out and, exactly. and not Exactly. And that's why I think it. passive arcana is a good way around that. I like that. I like that a lot. I think that's it. We are. Um, want... Yeah. Go on. God. We are we are late in this episode. We are, <laughs> yeah. We're um we're an hour and a half in, and that's a oh long my God. episode. I um I Time flies. I think I've got through all of my notes that I've got. I think I've said everything I want to say. Have you, do you feel like you've said everything you want to say? 
Uh, Jess, I did, I did promise that I would bring you a surprise, Ben. So I'll make sure I put it in two sentences, which is there are, there are some other cool countery homebrew stuff out there that act as additional options to choose from when you're choosing spells that could replace counterspell in your game. There's one called Aegis. I forget what show it's on and I'm sorry, I should have written it down. Um, it's like a live play where if someone is uh, making a spell save for an effect, you get to cast it and they get to add five to their like spell saving throw, um, which I think mm-hmm. is a cool like pseudo counter spell. Yeah, it's And there's another one that gives people temporary hit points with which to tank some of the damage from like an AOE fireball. And it's like a mm-hmm. very high number because it's it's flash temporary hit points just to go against the effect that's being cast at the, the players, which I think is that's like, um you could toy around with those ideas for sure. That's a really interesting one. If you've played Tomb of Annihilation, um not much of a spoiler, minor one. Um I won't get I tell you what, I'll I'll do it in an unspoilery way. There is a thing Perfect. that you can get within the final tomb that can allow you to have temporary hit points in the final fight each round with a a Serac, which helps you deal with some of those big, powerful things. So that's an interesting thing that Wizards did too in that particular fight. But cool. Okay. I feel like this is a good conversation. I feel like we we have both like we we can both see the benefits, the pros and cons to both ways of doing it, which is kind of what I wanted to do. I want people to be able to walk away from this hearing a very, very long, detailed conversation, but now have the ability to form their own opinion of a way to do it their own way. Absolutely. I feel really good about this conversation. Good. Me too. I feel revitalized. Um, Like I just came out of the spa. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. I like that. The mental spa. Um, Yeah. Cool. Before we go then, uh, I would like to give you the chance to just um, pitch your own stuff. Before you do, um, I want to say that if you've enjoyed this conversation, then you should absolutely go to where Ray is going to send you now and have a listen to the what will, if you're listening to this on day of release, be the most recent episode. Um, but the episode about Dark Vision that I went on because it's a very, very similar conversation. And I, I actually am very annoyed that I took my A game to that episode and, and we didn't do it on this podcast because I feel like I said some very good stuff that episode. <laughs> I'm annoyed it's not brought, on this, this show. You brought the fire that episode. Ben. Yeah, I was, I was on. Ready. I was doing well. I was doing well. Um, so tell, oh, tell people where it. they can go and find that episode. So we have a show called Running Off the Rails, uh, which is available on all your podcasting platforms, uh, spelt exactly like it sounds, Running Off the Rails. Um, we also have a website, runningofftherails.com, where you can find a blog article where I've written up in detail all of my thoughts about Counterspell, which might be really helpful to you. And any of the math that I cited, there's a spreadsheet, there's a link to a spreadsheet there where you can like plug in your own numbers to see what the rate of success for like mm. different Counterspells with different multipliers is. I used it to figure out that four was the right number for my table to multiply by the like spell difference. Uh, and I think that that would work for anyone, even someone who wanted to like buff counterspell to be able to like mm. see how it works out as you're casting against different spell levels. So that's runningofftherails.com. And I would highly recommend, as Ben said, the episode about dark vision, uh, where Ben uh, destroyed me in a conversation about <laughs> dark vision. I don't, I don't like to, to go into these conversations, um, with the idea that one person is going to persuade the other, but I am chagrined to admit uh, that Ben really 
just uh, handed it to me in that episode, and and he convinced me to his ways of thinking by the end. So mm-hmm. I think it's a really enjoyable episode, and I, I hope you enjoy it as well. Yeah, cool. Well, look, this has been wonderful. We're going to close this off now before we get into any more conversation because it's really long. But as ever, if you want to get involved, if you've got any thoughts around the things we've been talking about or if it's inspired a topic you want to hear discussed, um, particularly between myself or Ray or myself and anyone, then uh, get in touch. We speak common. Uh, is the name of the show obviously so we are at we speak common on twitter on instagram uh, we speak common pod is the facebook you can find us just by searching we speak common that's new there's not much there but by all means come and join us it's a fun little place um the email is we speak common at hotmail.com the agony aunts uh, doors are open um which i found out is not called that in the u.s it's called like dear amy or ask amy or something like that is that right ray to ask Amy, yeah, when you, when you yeah, said literally, Agony Ants, I was like, what is this Someone messaged nonsense? me and was like, what's an Agony Ant? I was like, you, <laughs> you send in your problem and they give you an answer. I thought, oh, ask Amy. I was like, sure. <laughs> so um, like, ask Agony Amy for the US. painful. <laughs> yeah, well, you're in Agony, aren't you? You need answers. So if you want to get involved with that. Um, send that into the email and if you really want to support the show the Patreon is the place to go and it gets you access to the best place on the internet the Discord server that Ray and I sit and talk to other people on and each other all the time about this particular stuff so um, join us there if you would like cool yeah that's where a lot of this counterspell stuff was discussed first uh, yeah. before it came to mm-hmm. the show so cool alright Ray thank you so much for joining me it's been a pleasure as always and I'm sure we will talk again soon Absolutely, Ben. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, do us a favor and share us with a friend or a D&D group near you. If you'd like to directly support We Speak Common, you can by heading to the links in the description, either on this episode or via our social medias to find our Patreon. It's the best way to directly support the production of more shows like the one you listen to today. You can connect with the show on Twitter and Instagram at We Speak Common. The music in the episode is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82 and is held under a Creative Commons 4.0 license. You can find it on the Free Music Archive. Music